All right, Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1 today. Today we're looking at a really uh, an incredible passage from Philippians chapter 1. And um, I really need the Lord's help to, to communicate the truth in, in this. And it is a, uh, it is the, the truth contained within this passage is beyond my ability to communicate it. And so um, I'm going to pray, especially for the Lord's help today, uh, that he will give you uh, just a revelation of, of what is in this passage. And so we'll read it this morning, we'll pray, and then we'll jump right in today. We're going to start today in verse, the end of verse 18, because this really is a transition point. You'll remember last week we talked about how or rather, Paul had talked about how even though he's in prison, that the Lord is using his trial, he's using his test, he's using this, this hard and difficult season to actually produce good fruit for the kingdom of God. And that even though Paul is in prison, as he sees the work of God going forward, he's encouraged, he rejoices, even in, his, in the midst of his circumstances and what I shared with you last week is that that is the key for us to have joy in the midst of our, of our trials, joy in the midst of our circumstances, because if we truly value Christ and we truly value his kingdom above all else, if, if our heart's desire is to truly bring him glory with our lives, then even in the midst of a trial and a test, we can see that God is still moving because God is always moving. We can see that God is still working because God is always working. And if we see that, we can rejoice. We can rejoice. And so here is a transitionary part here uh, where, where Paul is transitioning from talking about those who preach Christ with the wrong motivation. But nevertheless, he says, I will rejoice because Christ is bring, being preached. And then he goes on to say, yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is a lamp to our feet and a light unto our path. Lord, if we didn't have your word, we would be in darkness. If we didn't have your word, we would be confused. If we didn't have your word, 
We wouldn't know which way to the turn, to the left or to the right, but because of your word that does shine into our lives, you, you obliterate confusion. You, you, you remove all ambiguity from our lives. Lord, your word is so clear. It's not your word that is, is confusing, Lord. It's our world that is confusing. But Lord, as we, as we hear your word, as we study your word, your, your word comes into our heart. It's, it's implanted into our soul. It, it bears fruit. And Lord, I pray that your word today would bear good fruit in our lives. Lord, that you would, you would retrain our minds, that you would wash our minds of the ideologies and the philosophies and the values of this fallen world. And that you would replace that with your philosophy, with, with your ideology, with your values. Lord, that we would not see our lives and our world uh, through our own lens, but that we would see it through your lens. That we would see things the way that they truly are, the way that you see them. Lord, that you would give us those eyes to see, that you would give us those ears to hear. And Lord, that you would give us the power of your spirit. Lord, to live out, to walk out what we see, to, to live out what we know. Lord, that we would, would be faithful to you in the day in which we live. Lord, you've called us to, to live in these times. Lord, it's not an accident that we live in, in this time. It's not an accident that we live in 2021 in San Antonio, Texas. It's by your sovereign decree and plan. You've, you've called us to the kingdom for such a time as this. Lord, help us to be ready. Help us to, to be uh, able to step up to the plate and to, to be your faithful people, to hold the line for, for this generation, to be faithful to you and, and to, 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 be a, to be a model for the generations to come. We ask this in your mighty name we pray. Amen. So in this passage, uh, you, you know, we're, we're in Philippians. We've been in Philippians now for... Sometime, for those of you who aren't keeping track, to, I'll let you know because I'm keeping track. Today is our 15th week in Philippians, and we haven't even talked about the main theme of the book yet, even though it is our 15th week. And many people believe that the main theme of the book is the theme of joy, the theme of joy. And in fact, joy and rejoicing appears in our passage three times today. Paul says, I rejoice, yes, I will rejoice, and that he wants to stay and, 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 and to work with the Philippians for their progress and joy in the faith. And so joy is mentioned quite a few times in the book of Philippians. In fact, it is mentioned 17 times. And so many people believe that the theme of Philippians is joy, and I'm not going to argue that it's not. But I am going to argue that there is a greater theme. There is a higher theme. There is something, or rather someone, that Paul mentions more than he mentions joy and rejoicing in Philippians. And in our passage today, he mentions that someone five times. And that is, of course, Christ. Christ. In our passage today, Paul mentions Christ five times. In chapter 1, he mentions Christ 18 times, 18 times in these few short verses, 30 verses as they're broken up for us in our Bible, yet Paul mentions Christ 18 times. 
And he will mention Christ two times, more than two times more often than he will mention joy and rejoicing. He will mention Christ in this short letter, four chapters, 37 times. The message that Paul has to communicate to the Philippians is how to live for Christ. How to live your life for Christ. And now there's no, it's no accident that then he mentions joy many times because living a life for Christ is a life that will produce joy in your life. That's actually the only way to have true and lasting joy is to live a life for Christ, to live for Christ. And so Paul is going to write to the Philippians. He is writing to them and he's talking to them about living for Christ. Living for Christ. You know, there seems to be in our day and age so many different things that people live for. So many different things that people find their source of joy in, or, or try to, I should say, rather, try to get joy out of. The amazing thing about the world in which we live, that, that we are also connected and interconnected in, in the global world, is that what once was sort of niche uh, ideas and niche communities that they now can, can, can come together and, and build communities through the, the, the connection of, of online and, and, and the World Wide Web and all of that, where you can find someone who's into whatever thing you are into. Whatever thing you're into. If you're into, you know, purple unicorns who like to wear plaid pants, you can find a community that that's their thing. Whereas before, you would never in your whole life find somebody who, who shared that affinity. Now you can put, pop it into Google and you can find 6,000 people that are very passionate about that very thing. Now I know that's something I just made up, but there are whole communities that are devoted to collecting Beanie Baby dolls. As if it's 1990 all over again. There's whole communities that have devoted their lives to, connect, to collecting Pokemon cards. Of course, sports is a huge, huge idol in our culture. People live their whole lives and, and, and all of their happiness is contained within their team. God help you if you're a Spurs fan right now. God help you if you're a Cowboys fan, right? You need to see a counselor, right? You're, you're on antidepressants at this point. But, but, but it's true. The sad thing is it's true. You can, you can find a community that is looking to find its source of joy to live their lives in the pursuit of so many different things. But truly, there is only one way to live your life that will produce genuine, real, true, and lasting joy. And it is to live for Christ. To live for Christ. 
So there are, there, while the world seems to say that there are many ways that we can live our lives, when we come to the Word of God, it actually tells us there's only two ways to live your life. You either live your life for Christ or you don't. You either live your life to bring honor and glory to the Creator that created you or you don't. There's, there's really only two ways to live life. To live your life. You either live for Christ or you don't. And this here is the picture that Paul paints for the Philippians. This is the picture he paints for us today. Now as he starts this passage, he says, Yes, I will rejoice for, because... Why is he going to rejoice? Because remember, remember where he is. Remember he's in prison. Can, can we not lose sight of that throughout this letter? That is, the Apostle Paul sits down to write this letter, put pen to paper. He's in a jail cell. He is chained to a Roman guard. He's been in prison for four years. He's been shipped all around the world in prison, falsely accused. For a crime he did not commit, being in prison for the sake of Christ. Nevertheless, he says, I will rejoice. And rejoicing in prison is not something new for Paul. In fact, we remember Acts chapter 16 when Paul was planting the church in Philippi. Him and Silas were thrown into jail, again, for a good thing that they did, setting a girl free from demonic oppression. They were thrown into jail. And what did we see them do in that instance? They were praising and worshiping God. They were giving God glory and giving God praise, filled with joy even in the midst of, of these circumstances. And why is he rejoicing? Well, he says he's rejoicing because, he says, I know that I will be delivered. He says, I know that through your prayers and the help of the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. So the question we need to ask is, what, it, what is he hopeful that he will be delivered from? Delivered from what? Well, he is in prison. And so it would be natural for us to think he's, he's talking about being delivered from, from prison. And, and I, I think certainly that he could have that in mind but I think as we read through the rest of the passage, as we did this morning, what we see is, is that he's talking about a deliverance that, that goes beyond simply being set free from being in prison in Rome. He's, he's actually talking about a, another deliverance and another being set free. Notice here he says that his deliverance in verse 20 can come by different ways. He says he can be delivered by life or by death. His deliverance can come by, by life or by, by death. And so it's, it's not just simply that he will be set free from prison, though he could have part of that in mind. He's talking about another kind of, of deliverance, a deliverance that could come whether he was living or had died. 
And notice here that he says that the means by which he will be delivered. That's important. That's an important clue for us to understand what it is he will be, be delivered from. He says, I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. So Paul's deliverance will come through the prayers of the saints in Philippi, but also through the help of the Holy Spirit of God. And then he goes on to say, here's the key, verse 20. It is my eager expectation and hope. What is he hoping for? That I will not be at all ashamed, but that I will have full courage. This is the deliverance that he's talking about. A deliverance of fear. A deliverance of, of being ashamed for Christ. You know, that, that, that is a little bit shocking to us to hear that Paul may be struggling with, with what he's going to do with when he finally has to stand on trial. But I believe that Paul understands that he's under a great temptation right now from the enemy to, to not stand for Christ when he's, he's going to have to stand before Caesar. You realize that. He, he, he will stand before Ciro, Caesar. He will stand before Nero, the most powerful man in the world. And I believe in this moment, while Paul awaits that trial, he, he does face moments of fear with what he will say to the most powerful man in the world. Will he preach Christ? Will he preach the cross? Will he preach sin and repentance of sin and faith in the Lord Jesus? How many of you, if you had to stand before the most powerful man in the world, how many of you, you would be tempted to, to not stand there and boldly lift up your voice and preach Christ? Well, how do we know that this is what is going on in Paul? Well, if you look at other letters that he writes from the same prison cell, in fact, if you just look to the next page in your Bible in Ephesians chapter 6, as Paul closes his letter to the Ephesian church, that he, he writes to them at the very same time he writes to the Philippian church. In verse 18, he is asking them for prayer. He says, pray for me at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication and persevere in prayer. And for me also that words may be given to me in opening my mouth to boldly proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Listen, Paul is flesh and blood. He, he, he's, he has emotions, he has feelings. We, we see the great exploits that he does for Christ and sometimes we, we tend to put him in this category of, of a super Christian. Ladies and gentlemen, there are no super Christians. There's just an almighty God who indwells normal, ordinary people, broken people, with all of our fears, with all of our worries, with all of our anxieties, 
with all of our pains, with, with all of our conflicted souls, Paul is not some sort of superman. He's not some sort of superpower. No, he just is a normal person filled with an extraordinary God. And that same power is alive on the inside of you. That, that same power, that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, that was alive inside of Paul, that, that, that he was able through the power of the spirit to do all of these great exploits for Christ, you have that same spirit if you are born again by the power of Jesus Christ. And so it, it shouldn't be, yeah, amen. Hey, let's give the Lord a hand clap for that. It shouldn't be shocking for us to learn that there were at times where Paul was anxious. There were at times where Paul was fearful, that he struggled. He was a human being just like you and me. So he says, this is going to work out for my deliverance. And that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit, I will not be ashamed. But will stand with full courage. Now, as always, that Christ would be honored in my body. And whether this leads to my life or my death. Listen, do not discount the power of your prayers. Do not discount the power of your prayers. Paul says, it is through your prayers for me, dear Philippians, that this will be accomplished. The power of your prayers, saints. When you bend your knee before Almighty God, you have the attention of heaven. Let us not be a people that neglects prayer. Let us not be a people that, that neglects intercession, that neglects supplication, that neglects the times of, of going before the Lord and, and lifting up people, bringing names before the throne of God and asking God to move and asking God to intervene and asking God to, to set free and to save and to deliver. Paul says it is through your prayers and the power of the Spirit. Let us not discount these things. As we see our family and as we see our friends and as we see our co-workers and we see our world being pulled into the kingdom of darkness, being pulled by this present evil age, let us not be people that neglect to pray, that neglect to intercede. It's one of our primary ministries as saints of God. I would submit to you that nothing happens in the kingdom of God without first prayer, without first intercession, without first believers crying out to God. Let us be people devoted to prayer. Let us be people given to seasons of prayer. Let us be people who are not devoted to those trivial things that I talked about earlier. Let us be people that are not lured away 
from our primary ministry, our, our primary calling. What a shame it is today that those who bear the name of Christ spend more time watching Netflix than they do in prayer. What a shame. It's truly shameful that those who bear the name of Christ would, would spend more time on, on face, Facebook and social media than on their knees before God. What a sad state of affairs that the people of God would spend more time watching the news and digesting the news than on their faces before God in prayer. Oh, that God would help us in this area, that he would convict us in this area. You know, the disciples, they went to Jesus And they said, Lord, teach us what? To pray. Lord, teach us to pray. They didn't say, Lord, teach us to preach. Lord, teach us how to cast out demons. Lord, Lord teach us how to heal the sick. Lord, teach us how to multiply food. Lord, Lord teach us how to do this or do that. They went to the Lord Jesus and they said, Lord, teach us to pray. You say, I don't know how to pray. I, I don't know what to do. I, I start to pray and five minutes later, I'm on my phone. I start to pray and five seconds later, I'm on my phone. Well, we could go and... If that's you, if, if you're in that boat today, you can go to that model prayer that Jesus gave his disciples when they came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray. You begin to pray that prayer. Begin to pray that model prayer. Begin to pray the Lord's prayer. And don't, don't just pray it and recite the words and just move on. No, no, no. It's a model for how to pray. It teaches us how to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. God, you are holy. You are a holy God. Spend five minutes, ten minutes, twenty minutes, an hour praying to God about his holiness. Then we move on from that and move on from that and move on from that. I think I did a series some years ago on, on the Lord's Prayer. You could go on our website and... and and find that, but the best thing to do would actually just be to open your Bible and begin to pray it. Lord, teach us to pray. Let us not discount the power of our prayers. Let us not discount the power of our prayers. It is through that that Paul will be strengthened in the power of the Spirit to, to boldly stand and to give a testimony for Jesus Christ. And he will do it. From church history, we know that he does do it. From church history, we know that he is delivered. That he is set free from his first imprisonment. That he does be, travel again and plant more churches again. And, 
And even like he says, he is restored again, we believe, to the Philippians. He's able to visit them again and to encourage them again. Just as he said, he was hopeful to be able to do. But we also know that from church history, Paul is also arrested again, put on trial in Rome again, and ultimately under Nero, he is beheaded. He is martyred for his faith. So Paul, as he says, he says that I will bring honor to Christ in my body, whether by life or by death. And then this statement here that we have had on our banner since we started this series, this statement, verse 21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. This is the, really the truth that I said is beyond my ability to communicate. This seems on its surface to be such a shocking statement, jarring to our modern sensibilities. To die is gain? To die is gain? I mean, you, you, you go and poll every person on the street and and say, is it, is, is it gain to die? And everyone would say, no, it's loss to die. To die is loss. It, it is a shocking thing to hear. To die is gain. But truly, it is not shocking for the believer in Christ. Because to die is to be with Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8, Paul will write and say, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. When we die as believers, we are immediately ushered in to the presence of God, to the presence of Jesus Christ. And so this is why Paul can say to die is gain. That, that truly is not a shocking statement. But I think actually the first part is a shocking statement. To live is Christ. Paul says this, he says, for me to live is Christ. I find that to be a shocking statement to my system. Because there are so many times in, in my life where I cannot say that. So many times in my life, I have to confess, I am living, for to me, to live is Matt. But Paul says, for me to live is Christ. What does this mean? What does it mean to live as Christ? In Galatians 2.20, Paul says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus put it this way in Matthew 16, 
Verses 24 to 26. Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. That's a tough word. Deny yourself. You notice I didn't preach this sermon last week, the Sunday after Thanksgiving. It would be way too convicting. Self-denial is the way to follow Christ. If anyone would follow me, if anyone would come after me, Jesus says, if anyone would be my disciple, if anyone would be my follower, if you want to be a Christian, what is the first step? Deny yourself. What is it that you want? Don't do that. We live in a world that preaches the opposite message. Have you noticed? Our world preaches not self-denial, but self-gratification. That's every commercial you will ever see is, is preaching the message of self-gratification. Gratify yourself. Satisfy yourself. Find your satisfaction in yourself, the world will teach you. But Jesus says, actually, to follow me is to do a 180 from following the world, which is literally what the word repentance means. Turn around. So Jesus comes on the scene, and the first message that Jesus preaches is, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. There's a new way to live. There's a new king in town. I am that king. Follow me. And to follow me, you're going to have to do a 180 from following the world. The value systems of the world, the thoughts of the world, the, the philosophies of the world, the worldview of the world. What, what this means is that when we come to Christ, it's not just a prayer that we pray one time and then we turn around and walk out the, the building and, and we just live out our lives the same way we've been living it for the last 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years. No, in fact, we come to Christ and we do a total 180. And our lives are completely and utterly different from the way we lived before Christ. Because before Christ, B.C. in our lives, we did not live to deny ourselves. We lived to gratify ourselves. But Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, if anyone would follow me, let him deny himself. And then it gets worse. If you thought that was hard. Deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Je Jesus says that to follow him is to live as one who bears a cross. To, to live as one who, who bared a cross in Jesus' day. You see, Jesus' disciples knew exactly what he meant when he said this. This wasn't ambiguous to them at all. They, they understood that, that someone who carried a cross was on the way to be crucified. That their life was over. 
Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, your life is over. What you wanted, what you thought, your plans, it's over. It's now my will. It's now my thought. It's now my plans for you. It's now my kingdom. Your life of sin, your life of rebellion, your life of going your own way, doing your own thing, following your own heart. No, no, no. When you come to Christ, you surrender all of that. We sing the song, I surrender all. All means all. Including your rights. Whatever you think those are, you surrender them to Christ. That's what it means that He is our Lord. We sang that this morning. I believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. Lord. Not just Lord up there. He's Lord right here. We pray the model prayer. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. On earth. Right here. Right now. In my life. Not my will. Your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Deny himself. Take up his cross. That's what Paul says. I have been crucified with Christ. Your old life is gone. And let me tell you, that's a good thing. That is a really, really good thing. Because now Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. His old life is gone. Behold, the new has come. Your old life was sin. Your old life was brokenness. Your old life was shame. But as far as the east is from the west, the Bible says, he has removed our transgressions from us. And now we get to live for him. We get to, we get to live for Christ. For whoever, Jesus says, verse 25, whoever would save his life will lose it. You, you try to, to find your life in this world now, you're going to lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will actually find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? The great missionary martyr Jim Elliot wrote in his diary this incredible statement. He said, he is, the man is, no fool who will trade what he cannot keep to purchase that which he can never lose. What he was talking about is there, there is an eternal reward that awaits the people of God. And you are no fool for cashing in something you can't keep your life now for an eternal reward. That's what Jesus is talking about here. What does it profit a man if he gains a billion dollars, if he has everything that this world has to offer, yet he doesn't have me, he doesn't have Christ, he loses his soul. He gains nothing. Nothing. 
And so this, what does he mean to live is Christ? It's to live with this attitude, to live with this mentality that now Christ lives through me. I don't live how I in my flesh want to live. I live following the Spirit of God inside of me. Many today would profess to live for Christ, but few actually do. Paul can say the staggering statement, for me to live is Christ. But can you say these words? I pray that you can. I pray that you can. You know, for us to say to live as Christ in some circumstances, in some of the ways that we are living and in some of the things that we are doing, we're going to have to change. We're just flat out going to have to change. There are some things in our lives that are just sinful. We just, we got to stop it. We got to repent. It's, if we are clearly living in sin, if we are clearly rebelling against God and his word, if we are choosing our sin over Christ, what we must do is clear. We must confess our sin. We must repent and turn once again to Christ. And some of you may find yourself today in some circumstances where you are living in sin. Confess your sin. Repent. Turn to Christ again for forgiveness and, and, and be set free of your sin. But let me tell you, there's also other areas of our lives where we may be doing the right things, but we might not be living for Christ. I want you to think about that for a moment. We, we might be doing things that are not sinful. We might be doing the right things, but we're not doing them for Christ. We're not doing them as unto Christ. And, and if you will adopt this mentality, if, if you will truly get this idea that all that we do is to be do, done unto the glory of God, that in whatever we do, we live our lives for the glory of God. We live them for Christ. It will change your life. And in areas where you have no joy, what you will begin to see as you live for Christ in those areas, that there will be seeds of joy that are planted, the seeds of the Holy Spirit planted, and the, the fruit of the Spirit that will grow up in those places will be love and will be joy and will be peace and will be patience. If you will live for Christ in the power of the Spirit. So there may be areas of our lives where we're doing the right things, but we're not doing them as unto the Lord. We're not doing them for Christ. We need to change and, and, and do them as unto the Lord. Let me show you how this works. Paul preached Christ, and, and not only did Paul preach Christ, but he preached for Christ. Did you see the difference? Do you see the difference between preaching Christ and preaching for Christ? Last week, we, we saw how others are, are preaching Christ, but they're not preaching for Christ. They're preaching for their own selfish ambitions. They're preaching for their own glory. But here Paul says, we preach for Christ. He preaches for Christ. Paul was persecuted for Christ. Imprisoned for Christ, shipwrecked for Christ, beaten for Christ, rejected by others for Christ. He was snake bitten for Christ. And eventually, Paul was martyred 
for Christ. It's one thing to be persecuted. It's quite another to be persecuted for Christ. It's one thing to be imprisoned. It's quite another to be imprisoned for Christ. But it's the same with every other area of our lives. It's one thing to be married. But it's a one thing to live out my life in marriage for Christ. Amen. It's one thing to have children and to raise children and to teach them good things and to teach them godly principles and to teach them to love their neighbor and to love God and to respect authority and, and to provide and to work hard and to not be a lazy bum. It's important to, to teach our kids those things. It's one thing to be a parent. It's another thing to parent my kids for the sake of Christ. It changes everything. I'm doing it not for them. I'm doing it for Christ. Now, will it be good for them? Absolutely it will be. But I'm doing it for Christ. I'm doing it as unto the Lord. To live is Christ. My occupation, wherever you find yourself working, is it good to work and good to have a job? Yes. The Bible says if a man does not work, he should not eat. That's the word of God. It's good to have a job. It's good to work. It's another thing entirely to work for Christ. And so whatever it is that you do, do it for Christ. And it will change what you do and the things that you are doing. It will change how you do it. And when you live for Christ truly, it plants those seeds of the kingdom of God and up becomes joy and up comes love. You're in a loveless marriage. Start loving your spouse for Christ's sake. Start laying your life down for them as Christ laid down their life, his life. And watch how that love will transform that marriage. I've seen it time and time and time again. I've also seen the opposite. To live as Christ does not mean you are perfect. It does not mean you never make mistakes. It does not mean that everything you always do is right all the time. That is not what it means. But what it does mean is that living for him is the aim. Living for him is the goal living to bring glory and honor in every area of my life, in work, in life, in marriage, in parenting, in finances, to conform my life to Christ's life. When you don't, when you fall short, as we all do, we need to acknowledge the shortcoming, acknowledge the sin, confess, repent, receive restoration, and walk in a renewed effort to live as Christ. It's an impossible task on your own, but you are not on your own. You are filled with the spirit of the living God. To live as Christ. And when you can say to live as Christ, you'll also be able to say and to die 
is gain. It's not until you could say to live as Christ that you can really say to die is gain. Many people believe, again, the opposite of the statement. They believe to live is gain. But there's a tension in this passage. Paul is hard-pressed, he says, between the two. He says it is far better to depart to be with Christ. Far better. Far better. There's never been one believer who made it to heaven and said, ah, man, I wish I could have stayed down there just a little bit longer. I I truly believe that every believer gets to heaven and they go, finally. (laughs) You know what? And, And... It's not just a little bit better, he says. He says, it is far better to depart and to be with Christ. Far better. And I thank God for his many blessings in this life. How many of you would say you live a life that is blessed by God? Amen. I thank God for that. I do. But even even the manna in the wilderness cannot compare to living in the land that flows with milk and honey. And we live in that wilderness now. And yeah, God pours out his manna. And yeah, God fills us with living water. But let me tell you, it is far better to be with Christ. To be in that promised land. To be with him in heaven. To be, he says, with Jesus. To be with Jesus. Are you looking forward to being with Jesus? You know, Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, he says, now we see through a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. When you pass from this life into the next, when you close your eyes in this life and you open your eyes in the life to come, you know whose face you're seeing? You're seeing Jesus. You're seeing Jesus. Then face to face, Paul says, we know in part. But then when we are with Christ, we will know him fully, even as we are fully known. We will know Jesus, Paul says, as well as Jesus knows us. What a day that will be. To be with Jesus. You know, when we go, when Christ returns and, and The resurrection, which we sang about today, will receive our resurrected bodies, will live forever with Christ and with all the saints that have gone on before us. That's something to look forward to. You know, I'm looking forward to seeing my mom and dad again. How many of you have some people you're you're looking forward? Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing them again. I'm looking forward to seeing my grandparents again. I'm looking forward to to meeting the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm looking forward to you know, asking Noah what it was like on the, the ark. I'm looking forward to asking Jonah what it was like to be in the belly of a whale. I'm, I'm looking forward to asking Peter what it was like to walk on water, right? I'm, I'm looking forward to all of those things. Daniel, what were you thinking when they threw you into the lion's den? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, was it, was it just a little bit hot in there? I, I bet you were still sweating, you know, even though you weren't burning, you know. Like, I'm looking forward to all of that. But more than all of that, one billion times one billion more than all of that, I want to see Jesus. I want to be with Jesus. Amen. To be be with my Savior, to be with my Redeemer, to be with my King, to depart and be with Him is far better. 
And so we can say to live is Christ and to die is gain. To depart, Paul uses that phrase, he says, to depart and be with Christ, not to die and be with Christ, to depart and be with Christ. It was a word that, that the Roman soldiers would use when they would tear down camp and go on the march. They would, they would go into a different area. Paul says it's like we, we lay this tent of our body, we lay this tent aside and we, we depart to be with Christ. And he says it is far better. And sometimes I, I think that believers even sometimes have a fear of death. They have a fear of, of the pains of death. But let me tell you something truly for the Christian, death has no pain it's living life that's full of pain. It really is. And that's why it is to live is Christ. We, we see how Christ lived. There was pain in his life. And, and it's this life that is full of pain. But death is the pathway to endless joy with Christ. And we will not be and should not be afraid to walk that path. No, for the believer, the fear of death is removed and so Paul could declare gloriously, O oh, death, where is your victory? O oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the cross. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. To live is Christ and to die is gain. You know, in a few moments we're going to remember and memorialize a great woman of God. We're not mourning her loss. She has gained Christ. She has entered into her reward. And for all who live as Christ, there is a treasure, there is a reward being stored up for us in heaven. And on that day, we sang that song today, on that day when my strength is failing, I'll still have 10,000 reasons to say, bless the Lord, oh my soul. We will enter into our reward. Whatever pathway we go through, we don't know. We don't know how much long we have left to live in, in this life. We, we don't know. 2021, we, we've seen some dear people that we knew go to be with the Lord. And every year, it's the same way. Every year. There's not a year that doesn't pass by that us as a church doesn't lay to rest some precious saint that we loved dearly. And we don't know who among us it will be in 2022. I think about these things. I probably think about death more than almost anybody in this room because I'm doing a lot of funerals, you know. I contemplate these things. But truly, truly, to live is Christ and to die is gain. To die is gain. And so however long the Lord gives us, whether it's the next one year, the next 10 years, the next 40 years, the next 80 years, however long it would be, let us, like the Apostle Paul, say, to live is Christ. And when that day comes, to die is gain. I invite you to stand with me as we pray. Father, we thank you for your word. 
It truly is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. Lord, we thank you that it teaches us how to live this life. All of us, Lord, we fall short. All of us, Lord, need forgiveness and repentance. And you offer it freely. That's what the cross is all about. We thank you for this time of communion that we're about to have. I pray that the realities of the truths that we've been talking about today would be ever present in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray.